Well, good morning. It's really good to have you here. I'm going to invite you to open up God's Word to the book of Romans, New Testament, Romans chapter 12, as we continue our series called Faith Commitments. And what we have hopefully called you into is a biblical, bold community of God who uh, celebrates four key commitments in your life. Number one, a commitment to Jesus Christ, a commitment to what he wants to do through a church, a commitment to uh, a community of people in a church where we love each other and we, we reflect the love of God to each other. And today, we're going to look, like, look at what it looks like to love our community because we really need to have a commitment to our community and not be an island in our community, but we need to love our community with the love that God has for us. And as we uh, begin, I just want to amplify what David said in, um, in, our, in his announcements. I want to invite you, if you have made a commitment to Jesus Christ, we want you to be baptized. As we read the New Testament, it's very clear to us that when someone believed, they were baptized. That was their invitation. If you believe this, Get baptized. And I know that some of you come from different backgrounds. I just want to call you into a biblical community where we're celebrating what the New Testament church celebrates. And so if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. Sign up over at the information center or go online and do that so that we can have a great time, a family time of commitment around Jesus Christ next week. You know, as we look at this, um, we're, last week we talked about how we're to love people um, how do we to love each other, those inside of our community as a church. And now we're going to be looking how we to love people in the world. I think it's a key area of distinction in, a, in Christ followers is that we would not let the love of God just bottle up inside us and let it dead end in our lives or we receive it, but we don't reflect it. And so this message is going to be a bold picture from the word of God on what it could look like if you chose to love people in this world. People who do not think like you, act like you, talk like you, um, or view the world like you. Are we to love them? Most religions say no, until they learn and, and believe what we believe and act the way we do. Then we can love them and they're part of our family. This is not biblical. That viewpoint is not biblical. The biblical Standpoint, uh, viewpoint is not just to uh, love each other and to be committed to each other and sacrifice for each other. It's to love everyone in our world with the love of God. And it's the measure of which we're loved that we're to love others. Let's take a look at this. It begins in verse 14 of Romans chapter 12. Let's read this. We'll go right to the end of the chapter. It says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written... It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, the last verse in this passage is what I want to focus on. Because it gives us the pattern of what on earth we're here to do as the church 
of, of uh, Jesus Christ in this world. Here it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As we talked about last week, when, uh, when Paul called us to do not be conformed by this world, to be conformed to this world would be a picture of being overcome by evil. But then to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that would be uh, part of overcoming evil with good. Now, uh, outside of popular belief, this world is not a good place. This world is an evil place. This world is bent on selfishness. This br- world is is uh, in darkness. And it was in darkness that Jesus came to this world. He came as light shining in darkness. He was the redemption of God, the rescuer of God. As Galatians 1 chapter 4 says, that Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. So according to the scriptures, this age that we live in right now, waiting for the return of Christ, is an evil present age. The world is not good. It's not fair. It's not friendly. It's hostile to God. And therefore, whatever God's going to do is he's going to confront evil with good. And it's that picture. It's more like the Lord of the Rings where light is shining in darkness and we're coming and, and we're part of God's redemptive plan throughout history. And we are the hope with, that we have in Jesus Christ is the hope for the world. And it's this picture that we're called to as the church, not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. How do we do this? By loving. Loving is the platform. The way we love people is going to serve as the platform by the way we, we share the gospel with them. And so the, the gospel was just designed. It was designed as a demonstration of the love of God to be, to be shared on the platform of love. And the church is supposed to be that in our community. We are to be a loving community to each other and we are to love people in our community. Let me just show you how God works here. He has given the church Christ. And he has put Christ into this world to shine in darkness. It is only about Jesus Christ that, that we have a hope. And it's through what Christ has done on the cross that, that uh, we have this rescue from God. God rescued you. You cannot rescue yourself. Trust me. You are in sin. You are an enemy to God in and of yourself. I was and you are or were. And the reality is Jesus Christ uh, was God's demonstration of love and that while you were still a sinner, while you were still against God, Christ died for you. And, and that's the picture that God's love initiated through Christ. It's undeserved. It's grace. It's mercy. We don't deserve it. But God, because he's loving, loved us through Jesus Christ. And, and Christ is to be put at the center of the church. And the church has been placed around Christ to keep Christ as the head and the leader and the, the bridegroom of which the church is the bride. It's to be committed to Christ. It's to follow Christ, be a Christ follower that reflects his love and the way that he loves us to the, by the way we love each other. And he is, then God has placed this church to be in a community. He has strategically placed us to be at this place in this generation at this time to reflect his love. And his love flows from Christ to the church, through the church, out into the community. That's how God's love functions. He's been placed here in the church as Christ, in the church to be reflected here, but not just to stay in here and to, you know, batten down the doors and keep his love here. But it's meant to be released, not restrained, out into the world. 
This is the flow of God's love. From Christ to us to the world. That's the pattern. And we're called to do this. We're called to to, um, uh, bring the love of God in our community. And as we do that, guess what happens? We move away from being overcome by evil. And we overcome evil with good. You know, Jesus spoke about this. And many commentators believe that Paul drew on the teachings of Jesus to show us how to love. Jesus in in Matthew chapter 5 is doing the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the great discourses in the, or teachings in the, in the book of Matthew. And uh, Jesus is giving the Beatitudes or declarations or blessings made by Jesus. And he says this, You have heard what it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I don't want you to get discouraged by that last statement. But what is Jesus calling us to? Is Jesus calling us to a normal love? Hello? No, he's not. He's calling us to a godly love. And that's why we have to realize this. We are not called to be normal. You are not called to be normal. You are called to be godly. You got that? Because if you're like most, most like normal. Normal provides a grid to say I'm either better than average or I need to do a little bit better to keep up with everyone else. Normal will kill you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Normal will conform you to the pattern of this world. Godliness will transform you by the renewing of your mind. Folks, we got to get over being normal. I got to get over the normal grid of which I evaluate my children. Boy, they didn't do drugs this week. They didn't drink. They didn't sleep around with anyone. They're doing well. No, that's moral. That's normal, perhaps. But it ain't godly. You know, we got to celebrate godliness when we see it. Because the measure that we're called to is not of ourselves. We're not going to get this by just thinking good thoughts and singing Michael Bolton songs. I know I've been picking on him recently. But you know what? It just doesn't come by pop culture on this picture of normalness. That's not how transformation's going to take place. We've got to move beyond church as normal. We are called to a higher measure and we won't make a transformational impact in our community unless we pursue godliness over normalness. Overcoming evil with good requires a redemptive plan of the love we have to a love that reflects the nature of God. Now, I and you love to receive God's love. I do. Aren't you glad that God's love is not attached to your church attendance, your giving record, your ministry involvement, your language, your thoughts? Aren't you glad that God doesn't say, Aha, Hishma, boy, when that guy cut in front of you, man, you dropped down a few notches because I read your mind. You may have not said it, but I read your mind. And you got to go to church a few weeks to make up for that one. Aren't you glad that God doesn't love us like that? Aren't you glad that God loves you only because he's a loving God 
and he chose to love you. And he reached down into this world of darkness and he opened your eyes that were blind to him and opened your eyes to see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you saw it, you couldn't explain it. It wasn't normal. It was godly. And you just said, I want it. I want it. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for restoring me. Don't you like, how many of you are really glad you have received the love of God? Come on, raise your hand. Hello. Okay, put your hands down. How many of you don't like the love of God? You just would rather not have it in your life. You'd rather work for it because working makes you feel a little bit better. Okay, thank you. No one took me up on that one. We love to receive it, folks. Do we like to give it? Do we? No, I like to receive it because I'm in then. But the second you mess with me, I don't know about giving the love of God to you. This passage is going to call us away from that normal response that we have in of our, of our own minds. And it, calls, it causes us to transform to a different way we think, a different way we, we respond to the God's love so that we don't just keep it in. We don't just bottle it up in us. We don't just receive it and we don't get the full picture. And here's what God wants to offer us if we're willing to take him up on this, if we're willing to reflect his love He's going to give us a greater capacity to love. And I, I don't know about you, but I want a much greater capacity to love than one that I'm operating under, under right now. I want much better than a normal love in my marriage, with my family, in my church, in my community. I want a godly love. And the scriptures show us that it's not going to come by us. It's only going to come through a relationship with Jesus Christ who loved us when we were unlovable who loved us before we loved him and measured up to a standard, who loved us only because he's a loving God. We need to be that because we need to be that loving people. Let's take a look at these, this, uh, this transforming from or redeeming a love from normal to godly in this passage. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Let's stop right there because this really gives a picture of what normal is. Normal is that when you persecute me, when you do something against me, whether um, you meant to do it or not, but really when you meant to do it, intentionally have harmed me, the normal response is right here in the passage, curse. It's for me to curse you. And it's really easy when someone persecutes you to, to move from, to, to be cursing that person. But scripture is calling us away from cursing and into blessing. Did I say this was going to be easy? No, that's why it's not normal. It's godly and we need godliness in our lives. And a godly response to those who persecute us is to bless them, to bless them, to be a blessing. That means at two o'clock today, when the Green Bay Packers play the Chicago Bears, those persecutors of Chicago Bears, I need to bless you, bless you, all you Chicago Bear fans. Before we wallop you, we just want to just let you know that we bless you. Now, there's many ways to do this, but you know what it comes down to is it's much more than a rivalry, isn't it? These are real hurts. These are real um, ill-conceived um, motives in people's lives that when they hurt you, when they steal business from you, when they steal different things, opportunities from you, you want to get them back. You want to curse. You do. And sometimes it's as easy as the person who cuts in front of you, you know? And you know, my first, my first instinct is not to go, well, 
God must be in a hurry. Go ahead. Receive a blessing as you go. That's not... But a godly response, folks. Godly response is going to go, whoa, wait a minute, Hishma. I just wanted to curse that person. That's, that's not a godly response. I was made for something much more than rolling down the window and waving the Christian hand at them. One way to heaven, guy, you know? We don't do that, folks. We're called to bless and not curse. And you know what? There's something about it in the economy of God that when we restrain ourselves from evil, God has a platform to show us the larger picture of blessing if we're willing to take him up on that. We're called away from cursing and into blessing. Secondly, let's look at verse 15. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And what I want to just kind of brought out in this and just my prayer and my thoughts through what this means, I really think that the, that, that the godly love that this is calling us is calling us away from compare, comparing and into caring. You know, because here's, here's how I view it. When something really good happens to you, when you win or you get the promotion or you get the job or you get to go on the vacation and you get to have that great time, guess when I compare my life to you, guess what I do? I go, why don't I have a vacation like that? Okay? Well, why didn't I get that? Or I go, well, my boss is a jerk. And if my boss, you know, they've got a better boss than I because if my boss saw me, they'd give me a raise too. You compare and you don't rejoice. And instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice, you envy and you covet. And you you work out a, a whole little reality in your mind of how life isn't fair to you. And that robs you of reflecting the love of God in your life. And then, then when it says mourn with those who mourn, what do you think about when, when someone loses someone or something of a tragedy happens that someone has this incredible loss that they go into mourning? What do you do? Most of the time, if, it's, if we're normal, we'll go, whew, boy, I'm glad that didn't happen to me. Glad I still have a job. Boy, it's a good thing my kids didn't make that kind of decision. And we kind of celebrate on someone's loss. Instead of showing up and gathering around them and mourning with them. So you get the newspaper and you read that your neighbor was arrested on something or charged with something. Or your neighbor lost their job or something. And it's real easy to go, Whew, boy, it's not good for the community here. What are my property values going to do? Or do you go and you show up and you knock on that door and you go, I don't know how you feel, but I know you must be hurting right now. And I want to let you know I'm praying for you. I really do care about you. You see... That's where the love of God shows up. So that person's probably never going to walk into this church. So you need to be the church. You need to love people around you who are mourning. Because here's the truth of the gospel. Most adults, when they come to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, come to Christ under crisis, under failure, under loss. Because those are the many times that we are humbled to the point where we realize the world's not about me. It's not about my plan. It's not about my agenda. It's not about Joe Hishma. It's about something more. There's got to be more to life than this. And in those environments, it's outside the church many times. The church needs to show up when people are rejoicing and show up when people are mourning and be the church and love and share the love of Jesus Christ. If not you, who? You are God's plan to love this world. So we need to buck up And we need to quit comparing and start caring. Now, again, I'm going to have an opportunity this afternoon when I've invited the staff over to my house. And one of our staff members 
you know, David Hinkle is a big Chicago Bear fan, one of us will be rejoicing and one of us will be mourning and we will be there for each other. (laughs) Now, structure your life around people. Don't cut people short. And be there in times of loss. You will find, if you show up in a time of loss and you care, you will find how few other people have done that before you. And when you encourage someone who's won, when you encourage someone who's, who, who uh, is rejoicing, you will also realize how few people gather around someone and congratulate them, tell them they're proud of them. See, we are not a loving world. We're not. We're a comparative world. We're called to be caring. The body of Christ is called to do that. Let's keep moving on. Verse 16, it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Here, the redeeming love of God is calling us away from rejecting people to accepting people. We're called to live in harmony with one another, to to kind of complement each other, not compete with each other. And we're called to do that. That requires mutual submission. It requires me to submit to some skills that I don't have that you can do in order to make this place a better place. This means even your, your intellect and your wisdom in my life. I've got to be willing to do that. I've got to live in harmony with you. That requires submission. I know you don't like the word submission. But it's in, in order for harmony to happen in the body of Christ, we must have a mutual submission to God and his, his word and each other. We need to submit to each other to do that. It says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. In other words, there's no one, whether it's a low intellect or a low economic or a low environment, whatever you're in, we need to be willing to take the love of God and to show a broader picture than normal love. We need to go. There ought to be no one outside of our limits of God's love. No one. No one. That is normal, but it's not godly, folks. To keep people away, to reject people, You see, God values all of life. Across churches in America, the church is celebrating the sanctity of life Sunday today. You know what we recognize with that? Is that all life, all life has been given dignity. Pre-born as well as born as about just on death's door. All life has dignity. And we could choose political parties on this, but we really discredit the larger picture of God. The larger picture of God is God gives value to all life. He has created all life in his image to reflect his glory. He gives dignity. He does not make class associations. The love of God is boundless with life. And human life especially has been given dignity. And we as his church need to stand up for that dignity. And it treats the way. Sometimes it's easier to treat, to, to raise up the needs of the unborn than it is the born. We as the church need to lift up both. And there are people on the, the fringes of life. There are people, if you're in high school or junior high, you walk by people who are on the fringes of life and they don't have any friends. And they're wondering who will care today. Who's to care? You are. You are. You are the church. You give dignity. You give a God 
You renew the image of God in people by the way you treat them, by the way you love them. We're called to a higher standard. Do not conform to the pattern of this world in the way that you love. We're called into accepting. You know, this world sees people as a collection of living cells crafted by an environment and society, either superior and intelligent or inferior and simple-minded. You have to redeem that. You are called to give dignity to people. And one of the best ways you can do that is is to accept and love people with the love of God who do not believe like you believe. We're called to be that church. We are not called to be a holy huddle. We're called to love generously and graciously. It's godly to accept people and expand the love of God through us. Now, let me give you a warning on this because I've been in the church a long time and people love to match my words, however out of context they were, to their lifestyle. And I've seen people go, well, you know, I kind of want to take the love of God to that one guy and he has nothing to do with God and he's living a crazy life. But, you know, how's he going to hear about the love of God? So I'll date him. (laughs) No, you're not called to do that. You're called to love him. Don't get into a romantic relationship with someone to try to pro- make a proof case for the, for the love of God. I, I've seen people who said, man, I just party with these people because, you know, I'm looking for the opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. No, you're not. You're going to get drunk. You're not going to know which end is up. How is that to reflect the love of God in their lives? And how many times do we see it in the word of God here? That love hates what is evil, clings to what is good. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Folks, you're called to godliness. Don't use this, this picture of love, and recraft it into something that facilitates a harmful lifestyle for you. Come on, buck up. Get into God's word and follow him and be a godly person. And and love people unhindered. Not for your purposes, but for God's purposes. Um, So, sorry, I got carried away there. Uh, Let's look at verse 17. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Here's one. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That is a great, great passage for me and for you. Because the, the, at the end of the day, what God wants you to be is, and the person God wants you to be is a person who pursues peace. That as, as he looks at the pattern and the behaviors and the comments and the words and, and the thoughts you've made, as far as it depends on you, as best as you can do, I mean, as far, if it's possible, live at peace with everyone. That's how I want my relationship with you to be. I am going to endear with you so that peace can happen. I'm going to love you and I'm going to sacrifice for you as far as it depends on me. And I have found in most cases, probably 90% of the cases, when I pursue peace with people and when I want to resolve conflict with someone and endure with them to do that, God honors that and restores peace. But there's another 10% where that doesn't work. And people at the end of it still don't like me and still don't like what I'm about. Those are going to happen. But as far as it depends on us, folks... We got to make headway in that. We got to be aggressive in pursuing peace with people. Keep reading. It says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. 
what this redeeming love is going to call us away from. It's going to call us away from repaying people and into trusting God with people. Here it talks about don't return evil for evil. That's a lousy cycle to get in. To, to keep a mental or even a written account of all the evil someone has done for you. And getting ready to just repay them in whatever you could. Kind of keeping the angle of, I remember when you did this to me, so that you deserve that. It's like two of your kids playing, playing a video game and one of them punching the other one. The other one hauling off and punching the other. Never happens in my family. But if it did, that's returning evil for evil. It's not, it's not giving a larger picture. That's a normal response when someone does that to you. It's not a godly response. Some people, and I've heard Christians who go, I love this passage. Because it just says, you know, I'm leaving room for God's wrath. I just turn them over. God's going to get you. And they write their name on the back of their Bibles, waiting for the day when God repays them for what they've done. And you know what? I've seen people do that. You know what it just leads to? It does not lead to the love of God being reflected to you. It just leads to bitterness and anger and discontentment. Folks, you fuel that fire of anger in evil in your life. Evil does not leave your house. Proof text, Proverbs 17, 13. Evil will not leave your house. Folks, you can't afford that one. It'll burn you down. So, the love of God calls us away from that normal response. It calls us to reflect who God is by the way we love. And we're called to, we're called to trust God with people. That means we're really sincere about this. When someone attacks us or someone is, uh, it has, has you know, done us wrong, let it go. Let it go. It's going to eat your lunch. And it will usually, I find that revenge doesn't just stay limited to that one person in that relationship. Revenge then kind of spills over into my marriage. Revenge spills into my family. Revenge even flows into the way I lead the church here. I can't afford to do that. It's more than just the person who's offended me. It's all the other relationships that God has called me to. If you've ever been bent on revenge, you know what I'm talking about. Do you remember the movie Princess Bride? One of my favorite players in that movie is Inigo Montoya. And Inigo Montoya lives and he says, there is a six-fingered man who killed my father. And when I meet him, I will say, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Now prepare to die. And the whole movie is Inigo Montoya going and searching for this guy. At the end of the movie, he meets the six-fingered man. And he says, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he has this massive sword fight and he stabs the guy and the guy dies. The end of the movie, he gets to the end, he goes, my life has been so bent on revenge that now that I've finally had it, I don't know what to do with myself. There are other quips throughout the movie that he says is that one of the greatest ones that just cracked me up was, there's not a lot of money in revenge. There's not. There's not a lot of positive angles on revenge. And we can laugh in a movie and it can make some sense to us. But I've met people who've spent 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 and most of their adulthood life trying to get back at someone. Trying to remake their name so no one would ever say that to them again. You know what? That's far less than what God wants to do with a life and to get revenge. You know what? There will be a time and I have to rest in this because this world is not fair This world is unjust. This world is an evil place that I know someday, someday Jesus will judge this world. 
and, and we can trust him that he is going to be more than fair. And I don't look at that and write down names that I can't wait for him to judge because I'm thankful he's not judging my life. And we shouldn't do that with others. Shouldn't spend our time just praying for the wrath of God to reap havoc in their lives. I would want no one, even my worst enemy, to be praying that for me. That's a curse instead of a blessing. We've got to call and, and give a different picture than repaying people and trusting people with God. We're called to do that. Then it says, on the contrary, if your enemy, verse 20 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I really don't know what, you know, heaping burning coals on someone's head is. Maybe it's an angle. I know it's not an angle of, aha, you'll really show him. But I think it's more of an angle of, it's a, it's, it was a uh, public, uh, hum, uh, there's a public form of humility if you were carrying coals for someone because their fire, they let their fire go out at home. It was a kind of a public disgrace. Here, I think it really is a, a picture of, of your kindness so humbles them that they realize this is not normal. I did not treat them. I am not getting what I would expect from that person. We need to treat people who kind of expect you to retaliate in a way so that they go, wow. That wasn't normal. This was godly. And they don't have to. You're not, you know, you're not charged with making people believe. You're only called with giving the message and living the message of God's grace through Jesus Christ. You know, they don't have to believe. But one thing they will do is they will see a different picture of love than they have and they've had handed to them. We're called to move away from, from running away from people and into rescuing. You see that? There's, there's this angle that no one is cut off from the love of God through me. No one. My enemy, if he's hungry, I need to be sensitive to his needs. If he's thirsty, I need to be sensitive to his needs. There's this sense, instead of cutting people off, there's still an angle to, to, and a connection that when they go through a time of need, boom, in comes the godly love of Jesus through your life. The world is not going to show this type of love. Only you can. Only you can. So I'm giving you a task that you will probably not hear apart from an environment like this in God's word. You will not hear this type of love. This is a godly love. It's not normal. You're called to live it. So I'm calling you to it. Let's keep, you know, this, this whole picture this whole picture is an amplification of what Paul earlier taught in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 37. He said, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or suffering separate you from the love of God? He says this, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present or future or any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, what, what the God of the universe is, has, has revealed to Paul and he's shared with us is this. Nothing, nothing can separate you from God's love. So don't let anything separate the love of God 
from this community. Don't you be the person that separates the love of God from this community. You are the person who provides the fluid picture of the love of God invading your evil heart and reforming it where good is winning. You are the picture to show the love of God in this community. If not you, who? Are we going to be normal or are we going to be godly? Are we going to restrict the love of God just for me or I'm going to release it through my life? Folks, I hear it all the time. We do not take responsibility with our community because our community's not living the way we want them to live. And we stand as the church with the truth of God, and we do, but we also must have the love and the grace of God. We've got to provide that balanced approach of loving people and telling the truth, of proclaiming the gospel, but also serving and loving and sacrificing for people. I want our church, if we were to ever move, if we were to disappear, I would want our our community to cry out, we will miss them. Where are they? We need to be a church. And in just a few minutes, you're going to be unleashed from this room out into the community. And I know some of you are going, I don't like to live in Topeka. And you have all those reasons why you don't like to live in Topeka. Well, listen to this. Get over it. Get over it. You have been placed here by the God of the universe to make a difference, to love people in a way that they would see their heavenly father and glorify him in heaven. You've got to do this. And it's not going to happen. You quit. Stop complaining about this horrible place of Topeka. Folks, God has placed you here. Live it. Accept that. Get over yourself. I've lived in other places and I've lived in beautiful places in my life. But God has me here right now. He's had me here for nine years. And I have found... I have found that people here are open to the love of God and people are responding to the love of God. It's much better than a view every once in a while of the ocean or of 70 degrees around Orlando, Florida this morning. Folks, the place should not define you. God defines you. Pray God on normal and be godly. You know, if we did that as a church, if we did that, we really took God up on this this place would change. Our city would change. We would move away from normal and we would become more godly. Man, I want that for you. I pray that for you, that we would not be a normal church, but that we, our hearts would be broken to the greatness of who God is and we would be overwhelmed with the beauty of his love. And we would not keep it in. We could not keep it in. We have to let it out to everyone. The people we buy groceries with, the neighbors who take us off over property lines, everyone, everyone is not outside of the love of God. Don't limit it. Give it away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Your word has truly set us free from what normal is. And it is a good picture. It's a good view to who you are. And Lord, thank you for the promise that as we love difficult people, as we love people, even our enemies, you show us and you give us more of your love. You have more love that is just available and waiting to be unleashed in our lives if we would just love. You have a boundless 
supply of it. Help us not to be fearful of what our lives would look like. Help us to move away from being selfish, from being self-centered, and move into a God-ordained life where we love people around us. For it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.